Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. Honor Doug as he comes to share the word this morning. Thank you, Pastor Pete. It's good to see you all here. It's a, it's a great privilege, actually, to be able to uh, just to share the word today uh, on such a special day. You know, Father's Day is one of those days that we get to celebrate together, and uh, it's just a real honor to be able to ask to do this. Great to see Pastor Ross here in the house, Father of the house. Just give him a round of applause just for actually getting here. Thank you. I just want to thank you, Ross, for your personal integrity. I want to thank you for your heart for the house. And the fact that, you know, you, you, you've, got, you've got here this morning, you know, because other people would have said, you know what, I've got a legitimate excuse not to be here, but you want to be here. You want to be with God in his house on Father's Day and to be here. And thank you. Just you coming in this morning, you know, was a blessing. As we saw you here, we go, it's okay, Pastor Ross is here. It's all right. So uh, I just want to honor you on Father's Day. Thank you. You can be seated. I want to uh, open up with a, a passage from Scripture. It's from Psalms 112, and it's the first two verses. The whole psalm's actually really good, so you can go home and read the whole thing, but I just want to read out the first two verses. starts out, praise the Lord. This is always a great way to start. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. How good is that? Those who obey God, who love God, who love God's ways and demonstrate God's ways will be a blessing not only for themselves, not only for their families, but for every generation that passes on from them. And I want to say as I was reading this, you know, God really impressed upon me and impressed upon, you know, the message this morning that he wants you as fathers to be a fountainhead of blessing. He wants you. I just want you to picture that right now, fountainhead of blessing. You see, God wants to bless you. And we hear a lot about God wanting to bless us as individuals because he loves his children, and he does. But God's blessing doesn't stop there. God actually wants you to be a fountainhead of I want you to get into your mind either a, a fountain that has water cascading out of it or maybe a spring in the side of a hill. And out of that is a continuous flow of water. Now that water is great for refreshing, but it gathers. As more and more water comes out, it gathers and it begins to pool. And that then begins to overflow and run out. And in the context of this passage here, God wants the blessing that comes from you to overflow generation to generation, to generation. And not just generationally on your line, but all those around you as well. And this is what God wants to instill. He wants you to be a fountainhead of blessing. How do you become a fountainhead of blessing? Well, you need to know God's ways. And we're going to have a look at one particular character in the Old Testament to just sort of frame this uh, as uh, a, a, a couple of things really is first of all that you're a leader in your home and secondly that you're a navigator in your home and we're going to be having a look surprisingly in the life of Noah so uh, Noah who was Noah everybody knows the story of Noah Noah and the ark remember all the animals went in the ark and there was the great flood so we're all very familiar with that story but I want to have a look particularly at the dadship of Noah 
And what he did as a dad, not so much that he, he, he got the animals in the ark, right? But let's have a look at what he did as a dad. Who was Noah? He was the eighth in line from Adam. So we know Adam. It was Adam and Eve. They came out of the garden. And from them, all the nations of the earth at the time then uh, you know, began to multiply. And so we come to this time. In eight generations, we come to Adam. And this was a time before the law. So it was before uh, Moses gave the law. This was a time before any of these things were in place, before there was any real religion uh, on the face of the earth. Not only that, but it was a time where the world was incredibly corrupt. It became so violent. God says that the world became so violent, men became so violent, and there was wickedness everywhere that God actually got to the point that he regretted. He regretted that he actually made mankind. And so he decided that he was going to take Noah and his family and he was going to save them by putting them in the ark. And from there, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Why? Because all nations of the earth then would come from Noah's line. How good is that? And so there's that idea that God wants to establish you as a fountainhead of blessing for all generations. So that was a situation that Noah lived in. And let's read in, uh, in Genesis chapter 6 and verses 8 to 10. Noah found favor with the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time. So it was pretty bad. The situation that Noah was living in, the, the culture, the environment, the people he was living among, it was a pretty dire situation. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the first point I want to bring out is that Noah was a leader, a spiritual leader of his family, first and foremost. Even God said of Noah, Noah was the only one who was blameless. He was the only one that was righteous amongst all the people that had crowded the face of the earth up until that point. Noah was the only one that in God's sight was blameless in what he did. And he taught and he demonstrated to his children how to live a godly life. He was a spiritual leader for his own family, for his three sons, and also was an influence upon their children. Where did he learn that from? Well, he probably learned that from his dad. Now, his father was Lamech, and Lamech knew Adam. Because in those days, if you go back and you have a read, they lived really, really long lifespans before the flood. After the flood, the lifespan of humanity began to get really short down to what we understand it to be today. But before then, they were very long. And so although Noah was the eighth from Adam... Lamech, his father, actually knew Adam. And so Adam, of course, he was the one that walked with God. He walked with God in the Garden of Eden before he was expelled. And so Adam would have been the one who would have told all the other generations that came from him what God was like and what God required and how to live the life that would please God. And he taught that to one of his offspring, Lamech. And Lamech then taught that to his son, Noah. Noah then went and taught that to his sons so that they would be from Adam all the way through, right the way through the flood, into this new generation that was going to be born. There was a direct link from the very first son of God, Adam, all the way through to Noah. 
how did Noah demonstrate to his children? What evidence do we find in the scriptures that he was a good man and he knew what to do and he passed it on to his children? Well, after the flood, you remember the, the, uh, the, the ark landed on top of the mountain, didn't it? And then the waters began to recede. And there came a point where Noah left the ark. Him and his family left the ark and all the animals left the ark as well. And in Genesis chapter 8, verses 18 to 20, it says, So Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives, so they were all married as well, they left the boat. And all of the large and small animals and the birds came out of the boat pair by pair. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and the birds that had been approved for that purpose. So what was the first thing that Adam did when he came out of the ark? Worshipped. He worshipped God. He gave honor to God who had saved him through the flood, had saved him through the judgment. Not only him, but his wife and his three kids and their wives and their families. He, God saved that entire line coming from, from Noah through the ark. And he said, this is what we need to do now. We need to worship God. So he built an altar. And how did he know what to do? How did he know how to build the sacrifices before the law? Because Adam told him what to do. And Adam told his father and his father told him. And it got passed on from generation to generation. So that this fountainhead was established with Noah right at the very beginning. The first acts of humanity straight out of the ark after the disaster was an act of worship. So we know that he was good. Later on, of course, we also read the story of uh, some of the things that he didn't do quite right. But his children, two of his children knew the right thing to do. Remember where he was, he was laying down and he was uncovered and two of his sons went and got a, 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 a sheet and they walked backwards to cover him up. That was a righteous act. So his children knew. So what he was teaching his children was effective. He taught them how to be righteous. He taught them how to live. He was a spiritual leader in his home. And we see the evidence of that in his children. They started doing the right things too. So Noah taught his children some good spiritual habits. If you're going to be a leader, if you're going to be a spiritual leader in your own home, if you want to establish yourself as a fountainhead of blessing for your children and your children's children, what habits, what spiritual habits are you going to put in place into your family? Some of you might already say grace before meals. That's a great habit to have because it's a time where the whole family gathers around. If your family gathers around the TV at mealtimes, turn it off. Get back around the table. Get back around the table and start fellowshipping. Start actually talking to one another over the table rather than through a telephone or, you know, texting one another or, or something like that. You know, just turn the TV off. Turn off all those other distractions and spend time around a table because it's one of the few times that you're going to have as a father and as a mother to spend quality time with your children fellowshipping over a meal. You know, these sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were fellowship meals. They didn't just kill an animal and that was the end of it. They killed the animal. They offered the parts to God that he wanted, that he required. And then God said, the rest of it, you're going to sit down and you're going to eat in my presence. You're going to eat and you're going to share that in my presence and you're going to draw strength from being in fellowship with me. And you can draw strength from your, your family can draw strength from the fellowship that you spend around the table. 
That's a habit. It's a habit. What are the other habits you can do? You can teach your kids how to read the Word of God. You can sit down. You can have some family devotion time. You can have family prayer times. There are lots of habits, spiritual habits, that you can do which are going to establish good spiritual habits in your family. And you can teach and lead and explain and demonstrate to your family so they can grow strong. And then you'll start to see them. They'll start to imitate what you do. And then you know as they begin to imitate what you do, you know that you have successfully begun to pass those things on. And that blessing not only now stops with you, but it's flowing over and overflowing to them. And when they get older and they have their own children, they'll remember those times. They'll remember those times that they spent with you. They'll remember the times around the table where you prayed together. They'll remember the times that you took your kids to bed and you prayed over them and you prophesied over them and they'll say, I remember what my dad used to do. And they'll start doing the same. And that's how you become intergenerational. God wants to establish you as a fountainhead of blessing from generation to generation. So what are you going to do? Do you have any godly habits? If you do, keep doing them. Do them with purpose. Do them with purpose. Do them deliberately and do them knowing what you're doing. And if you haven't started, start now. Start thinking, what am I going to do? Ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, what can I do? What can I do with my family? What can I do with my children that is going to teach them your ways? Another thing is that God knows how to save your whole family. Now, this is really, this is really important because, you know, you might be the first person in your family. You might be, as a dad, the first one in your whole family who's come to know the Lord. And the others might be far from the Lord. But you know, God gives a promise in his word that not only is he interested in your salvation, but he's interested in the salvation of your entire family. Genesis 6 and verse 18. But I will confirm my covenant with you. So God made promises to Noah. He said, I'll confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat and your wife and your sons and their wives The ark, we understand, is a type of Jesus. The ark was a boat. It's a lifeboat. Jesus is our lifeboat. When we come to know Jesus, we get into him. That's what baptism is. We're baptized into Jesus. We're put into the boat. And we're saved. And what what does God say? He says, I don't want just you, Noah. I want your wife. I want your children. And I want their wives and their children to come into the boat as well. God made room for Noah and his whole family to be saved. And I want you to know that God wants your whole family saved. He doesn't want to just save one person out of a family. He wants the entire family saved. He wants your children saved. He wants your children's children saved. Why? Because he wants you to be a blessing from generation to generation. You are a gatekeeper for your generations. Everybody that comes from you, the things you do, the things you say, the way you behave, the things that you deliberately make a choice to do will become a generation of blessing and generation to generation. And you know what? We don't just see that in the Old Testament. We don't just see the fact that God wants to save your whole family just from that picture of Noah. This is a really powerful promise, and you need to grab a hold of this, particularly if your children or your children's children aren't saved yet. You need to grab a hold of this because this is a promise for you. 
Acts 11, 13 and 14. This is a story from Peter. And Peter goes to Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. At that time, Gentiles weren't even included in the saved. At that time, this, this was where they only thought that it was only Jews that could be saved. If you had to be a Jew to become a Christian. So this is very, very early on. In, in the early church. And Peter is the one that gets the command to go and talk to Cornelius. And this is Peter recalling to the council in Jerusalem what exactly happened. In verse 13, he told us how an angel appeared to him in his home and had told him, send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He will tell you how you and everyone in your household can be saved. This is a New Testament principle as well as an Old Testament principle. God wants your whole family saved, not just you. Well, that's all very good, isn't it? But you know what? That's not the only place in the New Testament where it speaks about family salvation or household salvation as well. Remember, Paul and Silas were in the jail. And there there was an earthquake. And the gates of the jail uh, fell off. And everybody in the jail was sprung free. And the jailer came in and thought, oh, no, everybody's escaping. I can fall on my sword and kill myself. And Peter shouts out, don't kill yourself. We're all here and everybody's safe. So the jailer replied to Paul and said, what must I do to be saved? And this was Paul's reply. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. So God is interested in household salvation. He wants everybody in your house to be saved. And you need to hold on to that. You need to hold on to that as a promise. That is what God's desire is. Now, Paul spent time with the whole family and led them all to Jesus. Peter spent time with the whole of Cornelius' house and led them to Jesus. Noah took his whole family into the ark and they were saved. So you need to know that God wants everybody in your household to be saved. So this legacy that you leave behind, this fountainhead of blessing, what's that look like? There's, um, I want to give you an example here from, uh, it was a study that was done in 1900. So, you know, uh, Nearly, well, it was over a thousand, no, a hundred years ago. Uh, 1900, this study was done. And, uh, and what it does is this particular study was done by a guy, and he charted the legacy which was left behind from one U.S. president. And that U.S. president was Jonathan Edwards. And he also then had a look at the, the legacy that was left behind from a contemporary of Jonathan Edwards, about the same time, the 1700s. And this guy was an avowed atheist, And he had a look at all the generations up until 1900 that came from them and saw what sort of legacy did they leave behind. And this is what we find. Jonathan Edwards was a U.S. president. He was also a Puritan preacher. So he was a a minister as well as being the president. So he was pretty busy. And here is Jonathan Edwards' legacy. He had 11 children. So he was a very busy boy. He was a very busy boy. And this is his 150-year legacy that came from Jonathan Edwards. There was one U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 
65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries. That was the legacy of blessing that Jonathan Edwards left behind. Why? Because God established him as a fountainhead of blessing. And out of all of his sons and his daughters that were born, that was the blessing and the legacy which he left behind. Why? Because God established him. And he was a godly man with godly principles, and he taught his children how to love God. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to see it doesn't just stop with you, but it goes on from generation to generation. In contrast, there is a guy called Max Duke, and he's this atheist, again a contemporary. And the legacy that he left behind was seven murderers, 60 thieves, 50 women of debauchery, that's prostitutes, 130 other convicts, 310 paupers with over 2,300 years lived in poor houses collectively. 400 were physically wrecked by indulgent living, including alcoholism. It was estimated that Max Duke's descendants cost the state more than $1.25 million. Now, that was estimated in 1900. That's not by today's standards. I converted that because I'm that good at maths. Not. You can Google these kind of things. All right. I converted that. What would that be if that was in today's money? That is $138.7 million was the estimate cost to the state because of Max Duke's legacy. So there we have one guy that God established as a fountainhead of blessing and another man who rejected God entirely. And look at the legacy that he left behind. Powerful, powerful stuff. God wants to establish you and establish your children and establish your children's children because God loves intergenerationally, loves your line, loves you so much that he's going to save your offspring. How good is that? Never underestimate the power of what God wants to do through your life because the things that you do today, the things that you establish today in your family with your children, they will, they will endure because God will see to it that they endure. God is a God that blesses, blesses, and blesses. So you're a leader in your family. Just consider what kind of habits, what kind of good spiritual habits am I going to lead my family with? You're also a navigator for your family. You know, being a leader isn't easy, especially when you don't know what to do, all right? Because when we become fathers, uh, you know, it's not like you go through a training course. You know, you kind of find out one day, hey, you know what, I'm a father. You get a little bit of, uh, you know, about nine months worth of uh, advance warning. But, you know, I read books on how to be a dad, and they kind of gave me some great skills. In fact, I reckon that I thought I was a better dad before I had kids than after I became kids. Because as soon as I got kids, I found out that they don't actually follow the same rule books that I read. So uh, you kind of have to learn how to do it yourself. And none of those things actually prepared me for me. How I was going to be as a dad, how I was going to be with my kids. You know, every father has to learn that stuff, you know, uh, for yourself. It's a great great place of discovery. 
and you've got to discover your own unique dadness, you know, through it all. Because, you know, you can read books and they're great for getting some ideas and some things to do. But at the end of the day, your kids are your kids and you are you. And there's a unique combination that, that, that happens in every single family. Uh, and you're just going to have to find that out for yourself. Um, but, you know, God wants to help you with that too. God wants to give you a strategy uh, in order to, to do that. And, and you know what? God gave Noah a strategy. God gave Noah a plan. He said, this is how you're going to build the ark. This is what you're going to do. And he gave him all the, the plans of what he needed to do. Gave him the blueprint. Gave him a strategy for life. And Noah built that ark and his family was saved. In Amos 3.7, it says, Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. And you are not servants. You are sons. You are the sons of God. So if God will reveal to his servants, the prophets, his plans beforehand, how much more so is God going to share with his sons a strategy for your life? a strategy for your family so that you can help navigate. Remember, Noah was living in a perverse and wicked generation, far, far worse than ours. And God gave him a strategy. And God will give you a strategy as well. And I'm going to close by sharing one last thing with you about a strategy that God gave me for my family. We went on a family camp maybe three years ago uh, with the life groups. Uh, we went on a, a, a young family's life group camp uh, to Gympie. And, uh, and there we handed out uh, some objects. And over the course of the weekend, we said, you know what, here's a, here's a, this is a, just like a, a prophetic symbol for your family. I want you to go away and want you to seek God about a word for your family. And our one was a kookaburra. And, uh, and so Becky and I, we prayed together and we prayed as a family. And what we found out was that... The Holy Spirit was saying to us, you need to laugh more. You need to laugh more. And, uh, you know, because we had some challenges. You know, I had just started to do uh, my college at the time. So, you know, I was working full time at the time as well as doing college in the evening. Uh, we were going through some family issues as well that we were working through. And you know what? We had just forgotten how to laugh. And something as simple as that is God's gave us just a small symbol and said, here's a strategy for your life. Laugh more. Laugh more. Just recently, you know, again, so I've, that was about three years ago. Just recently, I've done another one of those personal uh, spiritual inventories about where I am right now and, and the sort of some of the things that I'm doing well, some of the things I'm not doing well. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I have let slip are the relationships in my family. And working through those things and praying about those things, you know, uh, God gave me another strategy. And he said, you need to make sure that you spend time doing fun things with your family. And you know what? It wasn't until I was talking to Becky earlier on this week that she reminded me that three years ago, God gave me that strategy, laugh more. And I missed it. I didn't take enough notice of it. And I didn't laugh enough with my family. And three years down the track... God tells me again, gives me grace again and says, you need to do more fun things with your family. And I thank God for that. You ever heard of coin clipping? Coin clipping. 
It's what they used to do in, uh, in the olden days when coins were made out of real gold, real silver. People used to get hold of those. They'd get a sovereign or, or they would get a threepenny bit and they would get a chisel or something on that and they would clip little bits off of the coins. Right? And they would use the gold or they would use the silver and they would stash that away and so they'd get another one. They'd clip another bit off. What happens is that the coin becomes devalued when you do that. And I had gotten so busy with my life, so busy with, with doing you know, some right things. So they weren't wrong things. They were all good things to do. But I'd gotten so busy with them that what happened is I was beginning to clip away the edges of my family life, beginning to take little bits of time here and little bits of time there and stashing those things away. And the value of my family has been clipped because I never paid enough time and attention to have fun with my family. Simple, simple strategy. But one that was necessary for me, and that was one that God gave me for my family. And God will give one to you. You ask him, you pray. You pray with your wife. You get before God, and God will give you a strategy so that you can not only be a leader in your life and in your family, but you can also be the navigator for your family. And God will help you to navigate whatever storms come your way, whatever floods, whatever things are happening in your life, whatever situation you find yourself in, God will give you a strategy because he wants to save not only you, but your whole family and every generation that proceeds from you. So why don't we have the band back now? Just as the band comes back here. You know, the, the kind of families that we have these days, they're, they're not, we don't live in a, in a generation these days where, you know, we can say that a family is a husband, a wife, and <clears throat> 2.5 kids. That actually isn't the majority of our realities anymore. The fact of the matter is, is that we have dads who've been estranged from their kids. They don't have contact with their kids anymore because of marriage breakup or perhaps they weren't married in the first place. And we have other people who, you know, sort of they've got kids from a previous marriage and they get married to somebody else and they now find that they have two sets of kids. Uh, you know, and so we find ourselves, the reality of, of family life today and the reality of being a dad today is actually a lot more complicated than, than our traditional view of husband and wife. Much more complicated and as I was praying this morning, you know, you might be thinking there, well, that's okay for you. You've got a wife and your three kids are sitting here, but that's not my situation. I, I don't have contact with my kids anymore. And I sat down this morning as I was praying and I asked Jesus, I said, Jesus, what do you want to say to the fathers, to the dads who maybe don't have contact or have lost contact with their kids? And straight away, Jesus replied, and he said, your kids aren't lost. He said, your kids aren't lost. And I want you to take that home because, you see, being a fountainhead of blessing is a spiritual thing. It doesn't necessarily require you to have contact with your kids. You may not have contact very often, or you may have zero contact with them. But nevertheless, by faith, you can still be a fountainhead of blessing for your children. 
because God will see to it that blessing flows to them because they are your offspring. Because you have found favor in God's eyes, they have found favor in God's eyes too. And then I asked Jesus, I said, what word have you got for those families who are now blended families, who maybe have, you know, adopted children or children that that weren't naturally theirs, but they're now in a a family situation where they have have, uh, somebody else's children to look after. And this is what Jesus said to me about you. He said that my grace is going to increase your fountain so that it will spread out and flow over to them as well because all are included. So you can take heart that even though, you know, you're living in a house with somebody else's children, they're your children because the blessing that flows out from you flows out and over them as well. You know, every single person who's sitting here is an adopted child of God. We're all adopted in the kingdom. Jesus was the only one born of the Father. Every every single one of us came into that family. And yet he does not withhold one blessing from you that he gave to Jesus. Everything that he gave to Jesus, he gives to you as well. And this fountainhead of blessing can flow to you and your adopted children and anyone who comes under the shadow of your wing. Why don't we stand? Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.